Good morning. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Life. And on behalf of all of us again, I just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, today, we're going to pick up again in the book of the Acts. And we're going to take off where, uh, where you know we've been moving through this. And as we've been going through Acts, both Steve and Chad have talked about the, the mission statement that was given by Jesus to his disciples. And it's found in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, Steve started us out, and he talked about uh, how the Holy Spirit has empowered this mission. And he talked about how the Holy Spirit looks in our lives, and, and how that very, very much so, the Holy Spirit's very active in the life of the early church. And then he talked about witnessing, as did Chad. And Chad pointed out that, that as a witness, you've, you've, you've experienced something and you want to give it back. You want to tell it. And uh, he talked about if you've received something, you need to impart it. And he had Jared Kunkel up here with the Bible quizzing kids. Because Jared Kunkel had been affected by Bible quizzing as a young man. Now he's imparting that same experience to these young children. Last week, Chad pointed out that we're talking very frequently about people in, in the book of Acts. We're talking about what they're doing. But while we do that, we can't ever lose sight of the fact that it's still God who decides the who, the when, the where, and the how. God is expanding the gospel using his people. Now, as we've talked about, a witness is someone who who testifies. In a trial, a witness is someone who's seen something, and they go there and testifies to what they've seen. As a Christian witness, we're somebody who has experienced uh, the power of Christ, and so we tell people about it. But as we've seen this in the book of Acts, we've noticed that there are new people entering into the church, new converts in large numbers. And you may ask the question, how do they learn about Christianity? Well, certainly they're being told, they're being taught, they're being taught by the disciples. But how do they learn how to live, how to go through their daily life? And they're doing that by watching the other Christians, by watching the mature Christians about them. And so today I want to talk about that. You see, words have power, but seeing somebody actually live out those words has tremendous power in the idea of their authenticity, whether they're true or not. For example, Jesus says that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And on the cross, Jesus actually prays for those who are executing him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know what, well, not what they do. Jesus does what he says. He practices what he preaches. And so today I'm going to talk about someone whose life practiced what he preached talked about somebody who has shown in the book of Acts great power. Because the truth is, the way we act and talk about one another before others, people see, it, see us, that truly serves to talk about our testimony. Today I want to talk about a man that Chad presented last week. He said his name was Joseph, but 
he sells a plot of land and gives the money to the church. And so they nickname him, they name him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I want to talk about this man because he has some remarkable accomplishments in the early church, in the lives of new converts and new leaders. Luke, the author of Acts, describes Barnabas this way in 11.24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Today I want to look at this remarkable man, this remarkable witness, a man named Barnabas. Because just like in the first century, we need witnesses who can affect the movement of the gospel. You see, sometimes we get trapped into thinking that it's up here. This is where people are going to learn about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, it's more out there. It's us going out into our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, because the way we act, the way we treat other people, that is what's going to really testify to the truth of our faith. So today we're going to talk about this guy named Barnabas, because I think when we look at his life, we can see that he not only told the story of Jesus, he lived it out by the way he treated other people. So let's pray and we'll dig into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence. We know you're always with us. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak clearly to people today. <clears throat> that people will understand through the mystery of your Spirit how they need to treat others and how we need to treat each other in the room. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that you give us today. And I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Just be in this time we have together because we know all good things come from you. And we thank you for your blessings. Amen. How do new believers learn? Well, um, uh, Last week, Chad talked about a man named Martin Robinson. And uh, he said, remember, he's the guy with the Levi's. He's in England, and he loves to come to the U.S. and, and buy Levi's. And uh, I wrote this sermon about four weeks ago, and I had no clue that Chad was going to talk about Martin Robinson. But I actually have a quote from Martin Robinson, because he had a big impact on my life, too. And he says in one of his books, he says it this way, Young Christians need to see the way mature Christians live in order to know how to live the Christian life. Now, how do I explain this? Well, many of you know, a couple, last time I preached, I, I, I introduced you to our golden doodle, Daisy. And that's, yeah, that's Daisy. That's a puppy. She weighs about 15 pounds there. And uh, that's a vacuum cleaner behind her, if you can kind of judge the size. Now, Daisy came to our house right after she was weaned from her mother. And so Daisy began to look at the other dogs to see what she should do to learn how to live this dog life. And the first dog she began to watch was Buster, because Buster and I have this daily routine. I come home, I sit down on my chair, and, and here's what Buster does. <laughs> Buster loves to jump up on my lap and 
He licks my face, and, and we do that all the time. And Buster's a Shizu. He weighs about 14 pounds. Now, Daisy has grown to about 50 pounds. But Daisy wants to be Buster. sees Buster do it, so she wants to do it. She has no idea that she's not a lap dog, but she tries to be a lap dog. And the truth of the matter is, in the Christian life, it's the same effect. You see, when new converts come into the church, they are watching the mature Christians to see how they should act. And people who are good Christian witnesses, strong Christian witnesses, will have a strong influence on those folks for the cause of Christ. I want to talk about Barnabas because I want to ask you this question. Does your life have impact for the cause of Christ? How do you influence people around you for the cause of Christ? Your children, perhaps your parents, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your schoolmates. Barnabas did not only tell his story, he lived it out by the way he treated others. And how did he do it? Well, I think there are four points. These are in your bulletin. So if you open up your bulletin, you see that we have four points there that I want to go through today. And I'll, I'll just read through them and give you the blanks, fill in the blanks, and then we'll come back as to why Barnabas was so influential. First of all, Barnabas, he took a risk to support something new. He took a risk to support something new. Secondly, he had a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. Third, he was humble and saw the need to champion future leaders. So leaders is the blank. And he was patient with the failure of others. Now I want to go through each of these and talk about how Barnabas does this under the, the providence of God. You see, because Barnabas has a huge impact. Some of you may have never heard of him or, or, or maybe just read through the book of Acts and saw the name. But Barnabas had tremendous impact. You see, to our knowledge, Barnabas never wrote one word in the New Testament as far as he was not an author credited with any books. There's a little debate about the authorship of Hebrews, but, but in reality, we don't know for sure that he wrote down anything that we have. But two people who wrote a third of the words in the New Testament were heavily influenced by Barnabas. The first is Paul, and Paul would write 13 epistles that we have today, or letters. And the other is Mark, or John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel to be written. So between the two of them, 14 books, and at least a third of the words in the New Testament can be attributed to these men whose success came because Barnabas, through the work of God, influenced them. So let's go back and let's look at each of these points. First of all, he took a risk to support something new. He took a risk to support something new. Change is hard. Doing something a new way with a new person does not come natural to most of us. 
The church in Jerusalem had been scattered. The church in Jerusalem had had a problem. You see, they were being persecuted. And they were being persecuted, and as a response, they decide to scatter. Now, the chief persecutor, or at least one of the top ones who's after the Christians, is a man named Saul, and you also see him referred to as Paul. Now, don't be confused by that. He actually has two names. Saul was his birth name given to him as a Jew. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul is his name given to him as a Roman citizen. If you look in the book of Acts, you will see that the author, Luke, generally refers to him as Saul when he is involved in his ministry to the Jews. As time goes on and he, he gets more and more involved with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christians, the people in the Roman Empire, he begins to refer to him more oftenly as Paul. But this man, Saul, he is persecuting the Jews in Jerusalem. Now, he, he's a very much a Pharisee. He is a, he's a graduate of the school of Gamaliel, which was one of the top rabbinic trainers of the day. And he is an expert in Jewish law. And he's, he's called upon by the Jewish leaders to persecute this young Christian church. He's there when Stephen is martyred, and then the church scatters as a response. But Paul wants, or, or Saul wants to go after them. He wants to go to Damascus, which is in Syria. There's Christians heading there to get away. And on the road to Damascus, as he's traveling, he has an encounter with Jesus. There's a bright light that blinds him, and he hears the word, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Spoken by Jesus. His life has changed. He goes into Damascus, and a, a Christian there by the name of Ananias through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's desire, opens his eyes and he's able to see again. And immediately he begins to preach the gospel. This man who is the most unlikely person to bring the gospel is now preaching. Now, if the church in Jerusalem were to take a vote and they were going to say, give us the top person in Jerusalem that you think will kill a Christian, most of them would have voted for him. He would be the least likely to convert to Christianity. But that's how God works. Sometimes God works by using the most unlikely person to do the most amazing things. That way we know that there's no doubt that this was done by God. So as the story goes on, Paul, he's in Damascus. He may have traveled to Arabia. There may have been a span of three years. And he comes back to Damascus. He leaves Damascus. And he wants to go to the church in Jerusalem. He wants to meet the leaders there. Now we pick up the story in Acts 9, verse 26. And this is talking about Paul. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. How many were afraid of him? All. There's not one. There's not one who will take a chance on him. That's how bad his reputation is. They know him. They've seen him. He, he was there when Stephen was killed. He went after Christians all over the place. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They're saying there's no way this guy can be a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how in Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now that's just an amazing thing. No one trusts him. No one believes in him. So Barnabas goes to them. And Barnabas says something like this. We don't know his exact words, but, but he tells what's happened. And he says, listen, you know me. Remember, son of encouragement? And I know him. You trust me. And I'm telling you, so you can trust him. I'm going to vouch for him. It's an amazing thing that Barnabas does. And when he does this, then Paul becomes connected to the church in Jerusalem. One man comes forward and sticks his neck out, and that's Barnabas. Now, this willingness is just incredible because there's a huge payoff from this. From that point on, Saul or Paul begins this ministry that will become one of the, the tremendously impactful ministries in Jerusalem and out into the world as a missionary. See, Barnabas saw the work of God and he joined into it. He had great Christian influence because when he saw God at work, he stepped in. Now, a second point is about Barnabas is he had a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. He saw that God was at work and realized that when God's at work, there's no limit. There's no limit on what somebody can accomplish if God is doing it through them. And so Barnabas, again, we see this story where Barnabas is affecting people and he is always looking for the embers of grace. He's always looking for where God's at work. Now, there's a church in Antioch, and Chad mentioned that last week. This church is there, and there's reports coming back to Jerusalem that the church is having great success. And so they want to send somebody from Jerusalem to check it out and maybe give a word of encouragement or support to the young Christians there. And we find this in the book of Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem about what's going on in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He's happy about it. He's happy to see that God's at work. And he exhorted them, or encouraged them, all, the remain, all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And get this. Barnabas sees what's going on. He wants to share it. He doesn't want to hold on to it. He wants to share it. He wants others to know. So he goes and gets his friend Saul or Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we have this amazing thing happen. Barnabas goes, he's happy, and what does he do with that? He sees great potential. 
So what does he want to do with that potential? He wants to share it. He wants to share it with his friend Paul. Now this church was probably imperfect. It was a new, it was a young church in, in, in Antioch. But Barnabas sees that they have God's favor. So he wants to maximize that by getting others involved. We should all have our heat sensors on. We should all be looking for, for those kernels of grace. God's going ahead of us. God's at work long before we come into work. We should all be doing that. For example, the first time I met Chad Ringer. Now, I think I saw Chad give a presentation about a Guatemalan uh, missionary, mission trip uh, up here. But when I really met him was I met him in the missional leadership class I was taking in. And they would break us off into smaller groups to do uh, little tasks or projects. And I noticed something about Chad. Every time we were in his group, every time I was in his group, to decide anything, he'd go to the Bible. He was always digging into Scripture. No matter what the assignment was, he pulled out his Bible. And I realized that he had a deep love of the Word of God. And I wondered... What's God going to do with that? What will God build in that? First time I met Steve Serball, he was an announcer. He announced the names of the kids at Upward Basketball and Cheerleading. And I thought, well, you know, it's, he's got a good voice. And then he turned to me and he'd say, have you ever read N.T. Wright? I said, you, you read N.T. Wright? You read theologians? And so one day I asked, I said, why don't you give one of the halftime devotions? Go out and give a, a five-minute presentation to, to the folks about to what Jesus is doing. And he went out there and he started talking. And, and a lot of people will watch the speaker. I watched the crowd. And I realized they were paying close attention to him. He was connecting. And I said, I wonder what God's going to do with that. You see, you never know where those kernels of grace are going to come from. And you don't know what your one single word of encouragement can do when God uses that in the life of a person. Third point. Barnabas, he was humble and saw the need to champion future leaders. He was not addicted to the praise of men, to the people, and we already saw where he is, is just doing this. Like in Acts 11.23, it says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord and the steadfast purpose. This is a church in Antioch. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a great many people were added to the Lord. It looks like Barnabas' ministry was successful. It looks like that while he's there, that something is happening. The church is growing. And so what does Barnabas do with that? He says, I'm going to share this. And so he goes and gets Paul. And remember, we pick this up again in Acts 11:24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to, to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. He invested in him a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Instead of maneuvering to send a big report back to Jerusalem of how great he is, 
Barnabas goes and gets perhaps a, be, perhaps a better teacher, perhaps a better preacher. And then he invests in him so that he grows. Barnabas' strategy is this. When he sees God at work, he doesn't say, why, why not me? He doesn't say anything like that. He says, look at what God is doing. And he's glad about that. He says, don't say that God can't do something with that person. He's happy about it. And he rests in the knowledge that only God can do that. And when he does, it'll be greater evidence of the work of God. When I first came to Life Church, you know, they, they said, you need to volunteer. You need to do something. So I, I said, well, you know, I met a few people and I thought, well, I'll volunteer for the tech team because I kind of like computers. And so the guy who was in charge of tech team there was a guy at the time, was a guy named John Lisey. And I went to John, I said, yeah, I'd like to join the tech team. And, and here's what, you know, I kind of do. And, and he said, yeah, we can use you. We'll put you on camera. And I said, John, I'm blind. I'm, I'm, I'm legally blind. I can't see. And John said, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> And so, you know, I go through a little bit of training, and they put me up on that first Sunday, and, 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 you know, they have earphones on, they have speakers, and there's somebody telling you, you know, how to position the camera, how, what shots to take. And, and, and the person on the other end of the speaker said, uh, Craig, I want you to do a slow pan in on Kimberlyn, Kimberly uh, as she prays. And so I, I did it just the way I was trained. Nice and slow and I pictured it perfect so that, you know, her, her face was on the right side of the screen looking onto the left and there's a little space and I got it just right. And, and, and the voice on the other end said, Craig, that was perfect. That's not Kimberly. <laughs> but, hey, tech team was a good experience for me. I, <laughs> I made friends and... And God was able, because once I finally got a little bit better, God was able to use that. And again, it's evidence that God was working in incredible ways in somebody who should never have been in that position. My last point is he was patient with the failure of others. Barnabas was patient with the failure of others. Hey, new converts make mistakes. New leaders make mistakes. It's a fact, okay? But what we learn from Barnabas is he doesn't hold those mistakes against them. That when they've made a mistake, he doesn't say that God can never redeem that. In fact, with, we've already seen that with Paul. Paul, this man who persecuted the church, who went after the church, and Barnabas says, I'm going to present him to the church. I'm going to take him there because his past is going to be in the past. And he's going to be, move forward as a new creation. We see again this happen in the book of Acts. Something happens with somebody else. The guy's name is John Mark, or, or, or often referred to as Mark. He's a young man, we know that. And he goes on a missionary journey. He goes on a missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. And we don't know exactly what happened but for some reason, he, he leaves. And for some reason, 
Paul is very disappointed in him for that. Now, it, he appears again then in the book of Acts in chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Okay? But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So whatever had happened back in chapter 13, Paul doesn't trust Mark. Now, even though Barnabas had stood up for Paul, Paul's not going to do it for John Mark. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what happens is we have this disagreement. Now, Chad talked about this before, and God uses it. God even uses this disagreement. Now, instead of one missionary team, there's two. Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Silas. Now, what comes from Paul and Silas is great. We eventually will have Timothy come on, who, who Paul will refer to as son in the faith, who will go on to become a, a, a spectacular pastor. But as for Barnabas and Mark, Barnabas goes on with Mark, and at some point, he begins to interact with a disciple named Peter. Now, you'll notice there's no gospel of Peter in our New Testament. Peter never wrote a gospel. But Peter referred to Mark as his son in the faith, and he, he developed a close relationship with him, and as his translator. And it appears that Peter would tell the story of his experience with Jesus to Mark. Mark writes that down, and it's perhaps the first gospel to be circulated, the gospel of Mark. So Paul goes on to do great things, and Mark goes on to great things, both because of the direct action of Barnabas. God's there. God's at work. But Barnabas is there to help move it along. Again, I just want to point out, <clears throat> Barnabas did not just tell his story. He lived it. All of us can be Barnabas. You see, people need a Barnabas. New converts, new leaders, people within the church need that word of encouragement. You never know you never know what God can do with your one little word of encouragement to someone who desperately needs it. So just in review, all of us need a Barnabas. Perhaps it's your child, your parent. Perhaps it's a friend, a new convert, or a new leader. Barnabas took a risk to support something new. He, he supported both Paul and Mark. He had a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. He looked for where God was at work, and then he was happy to see it. He was humble and saw the need to champion future leaders. Barnabas had this amazing gift, and I love him for it. He would gently nudge other people forward 
and then he would fade into the shadows. And he was perfectly satisfied with that because he knew that that was showing the power of God in other people's lives. And he was patient with the failure of others. In summary, I think most of us can think for a while and know that <clears throat> there's been a Barnabas in our life, perhaps a teacher, a mentor, a friend, a parent. If you've had a Barnabas, be a Barnabas. Do it for someone else. Testify to the power of the gospel in your life by encouraging others to move forward as witnesses. Have influence on others by showing them that the Word of God doesn't just land on you as a teaching, as a doctrine. It lands on you as a way to live. Tell the story, be the story. Today is Mother's Day. And for me, this is the first Mother's Day where my mother is now in heaven. And she was always my Barnabas. She encouraged me and always helped push me along. If your mother has done that for you, then remind her of how much you appreciate her today. We're going to pray, and then we're going to join together in worshiping our great God. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I just pray that this day be a blessing to all the mothers in the room and, and that you just reach out and encourage them and their families, that it be a great day of family time, of interaction. Again, we know that all good things come from you and you have brought so many good things into our lives. It's hard because this life is not easy. Things go wrong all the time and it distracts us and it wears upon us. But in the end, we know that you have sent your son and you've saved us. And so as we join together, Lord, may our hearts and minds be turned to Jesus, the one who died for us because he loved us and because he loved you and because he fulfilled his mission. And it's in his name, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.